You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. I'm Matt McInerney. We begin this episode with an announcement about the show, and then Matt and I talk about the difference between functional design and expressive design. And really exciting stuff like rates and charging per the hour and scoping a project, and you'll definitely get an answer on which is the best uh, and what you should do with your life. Buckle up. You won't guess what I'm drinking, Matt. Uh, is it not water? It's out of character for me. Well, so... It's some sort of booze, and I'm going to be like, what? Well, not only is Are it some you? sort of booze, which is a little bit out of character already, but it's oh. particularly trashy booze, which is even more out of character for me. Are you drinking boxed wine? Uh, maybe worse? I'm not sure. So here's the deal. Okay. I have this plan. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, partially because it's a somewhat secret plan, and partially mm-hmm. because it's not what the podcast is about. But this year... Uh, I'm planning to cook a miniaturized Thanksgiving for the Thanksgiving meal that I'm hosting, where everything is a smaller version of itself. Okay. It's going to be very cute and very adorable, and I will go no further into it now, except to say that I had to acquire miniature wine bottles, and some places make individual servings of wine that come in, like, something that appears to be a miniature wine bottle, which is perfect for my needs, except I wanted to serve some nice wine with dinner, and they don't make nice wine in these little single-serving bottles. You may be surprised to find out. Right. So I got this stuff, which uh, is some really cheap, like, sweet, a little bit fizzy red wine that I'm Mm -hmm. drinking out of this bottle so I can empty them out and then later fill them with better wine, but I don't have it in me to pour wine down the drain, no matter how cheap, because, because guilt. Oh, I would never pour it down the drain. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. That's That would be too much. Also, uh, I can drink. Interesting. Also, I can drink a thing. I mean, like, it doesn't... Some people are like, ooh, I can't even drink that. It makes me gag. It's so gross. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's just like bad fruit juice. Whatever. Yeah, just have... I think you'd probably be fine for the next couple of weeks. Have a glass of wine one time. Yeah, exactly. I think you're going to live. Yeah. It's not pretty regular. Yeah. It's a, it's a you, small party. I'm only, I'm only cooking miniaturized Thanksgiving for four people, so it's not going to be a huge deal. Oh, so you're telling me you have to get through four mini bottles of wine four before of, Thanksgiving? Four servings of bad wine in the next month. Oh, what what a dread. I know, it's going to be rough. <laughs> How are you going to do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with it. I hope I hope it does all right. I hope you don't uh, I hope you don't have a hangover tomorrow from your one, <laughs> mini, from your one mini bottle. Yeah, I might get a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Should we explain why it's just the two of us, Matt? Yeah, why is it just the There's two of us? There's nobody else on the episode this This is week. a mystery to me, too, I think. Is it a mystery to you? No, I'm just kidding. Well, that'd be, that'd be, a, that'd be a shocker. <laughs> if you didn't know why, I'd have to retrace my steps, find out if I'm living in some sort of alternate universe or something. No, it I is, did. Before we it, started the show, I found out that my Slack messages didn't send for two minutes afterwards. So maybe just all your Slack messages had never got to me. That's, that is like a nightmare scenario of me <laughs> thinking I'm communicating with people in a certain way and them receiving it in some other way in which I have no control over. Nightmare scenario. Anyway, it's just you and I, Matt, this week because uh, this is going to be the second to last episode of Working File for a little while. We're not having some dramatic, you know, finale. Uh, The show is not necessarily over, but uh, we kind of started this show almost exactly a year ago as, well, actually, 
truth truth be told, far more than a year ago, if you count the episodes we recorded ahead of time. Because it's hard to plan. Up. Dang it. Yeah, we, we tricked we, you all into thinking this was way easier to do. Yeah, actually, the uh, the very, very first episode of Working File recorded was, I think, released as episode four or five, and it was the episode with, with Jen and Satchel. And we recorded mm-hmm. that almost a year and a half, two years ago. That was recorded in, like, February or March of, uh, of 2015. So that was when we started working on the show, and it took us a little while to figure out exactly how it was going to work and to line up contributors and to figure out a name and to do all the stuff you have to do to make a podcast. And, uh, you know, we did all that and recorded some other episodes. So we had a little bit of a backlog to make sure we could stay on top of it. And uh, But, yeah, it was about a year ago, a year ago, you know, two weeks from, from when this episode is released that, uh, that the podcast came out. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of an experiment when we started it, right, Matt? Yeah, I think the idea that we would be able to do a panel show with a group of people every, we said every two weeks because of scheduling, um, was still, uh, I didn't have to schedule it, so maybe I shouldn't speak to it, but it seemed like a monumental task. <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a lot of getting, getting people in the same place, uh, during their free time, which is not always the easiest. Yeah. And, you know, the podcast is a small operation right now. We don't have any, uh, financial support of any kind. Uh, we do have, you know, XYZ type sponsoring the transcripts, which is great. So we don't have to pay for that out of pocket, but the rest of our expenses are out of pocket and we can't pay our contributors right now. And I think, Asking anybody, uh, especially the amazing, talented professionals that we've had on this show uh, over the past year to take time out of their schedule for no money and no real benefit to themselves whatsoever to kind of record a show with us uh, is a big ask. And uh, yeah, I think we kind of started the show trying to see if that was something we could sustain. Um, I know that, you know, I was kind of inspired by other rotating panel shows. Um, The one that is the most kind of close example to what I was imagining this show might be is The Incomparable which is a show all about, uh, you know, culture and, you know, geek stuff, movies, film, television. Um, but they have, you know, a rotating cast of people. And sometimes they have seven, eight, eight plus people on an episode. And uh, they have a great rapport they're able to maintain, even though the sort of exact cast is always rotating. And they record and release regularly. That's kind of what we were going for. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's proven to be difficult. And, uh, and yeah, so for the time being, uh, we are going to, you know, put a pause on things at least. And uh, either figure out a way to do this more sustainably uh, or figure out a change so Working File can be something different. Or maybe this just stays a self-contained, you know, one year, 26 episode season, uh, you know, kind of up in the air at this point. Yeah. And I think uh, the way I see it is like this is if, if it continues, there's a nice season one and maybe we pick it back up in a few months because we either recorded a backlog or uh, found a way to kind of keep a more sustainable group panel um, and also come up with some topic ideas that are fresh and exciting for us. So we're not kind of rehashing the same old thing. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then it's a self-contained thing and that's okay too. Some of my favorite podcasts are, uh, like six episodes and they never had more. And sometimes I go back and re-listen to them. So hopefully we were making something that was somewhat evergreen too. So I too listen to a life well wasted. <laughs> How did you know I was referring to that? Oh, you mean the one six episode podcast that was really great? Well, there were they, there's like Serial and S Town and some. Th- I know Serial has seasons, but they're like each season is pretty self contained. Yeah, I guess it's not the only one in existence. But you you happen to know me well enough to know that's exactly what <laughs> I was referring to. <laughs> I guess I have seven episodes now, right? Yeah, doesn't matter. I can't remember. But yeah, so uh, you know, I think a lot of the listeners that are listening to the show maybe found Working File because of one of our contributors in the past twelve months. Uh, and to you, I'd say thank you for listening and uh, and following along. And I hope we had some positive effect for you. Um, I think some of these listeners are probably people that have followed you and I, Matt, for mm-hmm. five years now, uh, and all of our various podcasting uh, adventures. 
to those people, I would say double thank you. Also, uh, there's no shortage of podcasts to come. Yeah, I can't, I can't not podcast with Andy. Too hard not to. Yeah, I, I would say that you know we're not done making podcasts. Certainly, uh, so we'll get to figure out what the next thing is and, and how that works. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, we want. We felt like we owed you a little bit of transparency, dear listener, whom we adore, and uh, and that's that's the deal. Yeah, and I, I do hope too that we can find a way to uh, do an exciting podcast relating to the things that we work on uh, or our life experience that uh, stays fresh. Because I do know there's part of me that's like, I can't talk about the same design stuff over and over again, and my life is changing. It's different than it's different when I started being a designer when on the grid started, and we started talking about very different things. Um, so I kind of I I always have the the desire to keep talking about my life um and i hope we can do that in a way that kind of stays interesting yeah i mean for me i think the appeal of a show about design back in the day when we started on the grid five plus years ago now the appeal of that to me was that i was really interested in talking about that stuff and it was i was still relatively new as in terms of working professional designer and trying to like find my way and so sort of I've always been a person that kind of, uh, you know, works through things out loud, right? Like talking through something yeah. is the best way for me to figure it out for myself in the first place. And, you know, I think the beautiful thing about making podcasts is we found that some other people like to be part of that as well and sort of hear that out loud working through of ideas. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, for lack of a better word, I feel like I've kind of settled into a place in my career where, you know, it's not that I'm like stagnating and not learning new things. It's just that the the way we talk about things just gets a little more boring. And like you said, Matt, you know, we're talking about similar things kind of repeatedly, uh, which I don't think is, uh, I think can be valuable for a listener, especially because when you consider not everyone listens to every episode, I don't think that, you know, covering the same topic is inherently bad, but, uh, but it does make that sort of experience of recording it different. And uh, sometimes it's harder for the show to grow with us. So, so yeah, um, now my kind of feeling about it is that I almost feel like the reason we're talking about design is because it's one of the only things that, you know, not only do we know a lot about and feel like we have some uh, something worthwhile to say, but also we know people in the industry that also are smart and know what they're talking about and have things to say. And so uh, in that sense, it's like the topic is the topic uh, because it's the thing we know, but the underlying, <laughs> the underlying desire is to, you know, make something and, and, you know, work in this medium. And, uh, and this was the result of, of that, of the latest, latest result of that particular impulse. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I, th I, I kind of second your, the kind of working through something like the thing that's most exciting to me is talk about things that are kind of unknown and new ideas and, but now I'm you know it so all, Matt, you're at. a pro, you know, all the graphic well, design. There, I was going to say there's things that are, uh, very much, uh, still very exciting to me and exciting to talk about. Um, but they're probably not the same things that fueled, uh, and on the grid or maybe even the very beginning of this show. Yeah. And I mean, and now you're in a very similar position that I've been in for a little while where, you know, uh, kind of running your own company or being a part of running a company, not only does some of the things that are at the forefront of our minds become less relevant to a bigger audience, right? Like some of the things we worry about, most people don't ever think about it, don't care about, which just makes a podcast about it that much more narrow and boring to most people. But also, you know, there's some things that just you can't really work through out loud the way you'd like to. Uh, it's mm -hmm. easier when you're working through like, gosh, flat design versus iOS 6 and gradients. <clears throat> what's, the, what's the thing going to be? You know, that was a conversation that there's no, there's no problem having that conversation as publicly as you want. But when you're talking about some of the things we have to deal with now, it's just not, it's not the same kind of thing. Uh, it's not a public conversation the same way. Uh, it's things that happen in sort of more small circles. 
So, uh, yeah, and just, you know, publicly, a big thank you to every contributor that, you know, took time out of their schedule and uh, rolled the dice by recording an episode with us when they didn't necessarily know what it would involve and their first time recording something themselves and making all that work out. Uh, you know, people, mm-hmm. ju- people jump through a lot of hoops. There's a lot of episodes of this show that I am uh, very, very proud of and expect to be for, for a while. Uh, which is not something that can be said of all of our podcast projects. They don't all, they don't all age that well, but I think a lot of these episodes um, are great, and I'm, I'm very happy that they will live online. Obviously, the website's going nowhere. The feed's going nowhere. Uh, these episodes aren't going to be hidden from anybody ever. Well, I shouldn't say ever, but, you know, heat death of the universe, et cetera, et cetera. They'll be online for a long time. Um, well, probably I would assume SoundCloud's going to die before universe, but, I mean, who knows? Chance did buy it. I don't know. Yeah, chance will save it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shows I'm really a lot of these a lot of these episodes are things I'm really proud of, and I'm glad that they can live online with the transcripts, courtesy of XYZ Type. And uh, yeah, this all wouldn't have been possible without the uh, collaboration from a bunch of you know relative strangers. So thanks to everybody that uh, gave it a shot. Totally, I second that. Now, Thank Matt, you. what do you think about iOS seven flat design? Huh, pretty weird. That's what I was hoping we'd talk about. How are people going to know what button to tap on and what things they can't tap on? I think I think it's just going to fall apart. I think mobile mobile design is dead, Andy. Yeah, that, that a good prediction. iPhone's over. Yeah, and, and what's this trendy responsive design, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, no, so the thing I want to talk about tonight is um, I uh, I've got two main projects that are at least somewhat on my plate at work. Other people are working on them as well, but the two things that I'm contributing to right now design-wise, are kind of like on the opposite ends of this spectrum that we've talked about before, and uh, I just kind of want to revisit because it keeps coming back to, uh, keeps coming back in my work, is popping up as a thing that I think is worth mentioning, which is that one of the projects is a new product that is, doesn't exist yet, and we are kind of involved in the entire vision and design process of deciding what the feature set is and how the whole thing works and what the different users and roles and permissions are and, you know, how the whole system is connected to itself and how everything works kind of functionally on a functional level with, uh, mercifully, a very, very, very clear audience and a very clear goal, uh, which uh, I think we've talked about before, Matt, is one of the one of the things I value most in any kind of design project. When someone can very clearly articulate, here's who this is for and here's what it's got to do, I feel like I have the best chance of doing my job properly. Yep. So that's one of the projects. Uh, the other project we're working on is, it's also for a new thing, which I guess is a similar similarity, but it's uh, it's a thing that is not functional, right? We're basically making a, a marketing website for a thing that will be announced at some point in the future. And yeah. this website has no real functionality beyond, you know, a contact form, uh, it's just basically got to get people aware and excited about uh, the thing in question. Right, I don't mean to be right. cryptic. It doesn't really matter, but it's not important to the story. It's just, it's, you know, pretend it's a new product or, you know, an event or whatever you want to pretend it is. Um, yeah, we're familiar with this dichotomy. There's a, it's an app and a landing page, right? Sure. And, uh, you know, I feel like more and more as my career has gone along and, it's starting to really start contrast. You know, this particular week in the past couple of weeks, I've been had these two projects kind of simultaneously on my plate. Moving between them just feels like total, like total, like temperature shock, right? It's like you're going from one thing to another thing. And it's like a whole different job and a whole different way of thinking. In one place, you know, we have this goal and we get to make decisions about that goal. And the decisions we make, we get to decide, mm-hmm. you know, here's why we think this is where we want to go with this. And here's the context behind it. Here's our sort of under underpinnings for these design decisions. 
And the other side, it's like, well, is this cool? Is this going to make people excited about this thing? It's all of these much more gray, kind of ambiguous uh, sort of metrics that are much harder to say, like, here's a good reason why (coughs) this will get people excited about this thing. Or here's a good reason why this will communicate the thing we need to communicate about this particular project. Uh, And I I don't know, it's been striking me that, like, you know, it's both of these, this is like the two ends of the spectrum of what I consider to be like my skill set. Yeah. I don't think one is something I'm I'm capable of and one is not something I'm capable of, but it does almost feel sometimes like they are really two separate jobs in the way that like, you know, being a teacher and uh, and being a plumber are two separate jobs. Like the, the end result is similar. Like, ah, I made a thing. I, I drew a picture of a website in a, in a drawing program. Like that's the result. But the uh, the whole process and the underpinnings and the thinking to get you there is like just a, a universe apart. Yeah. The second one, the marketing site where you have to get people hyped about a product, the landing page one. Um, how do you approach that? Because I can, I can wrap my brain around... Well, I, I can wrap my brain around your brain in the, the functional app. But, like, I, I don't know if I've experienced you in, uh, in, like, marketing world. Like, what is your take when somebody has an opinion and you know it's subjective, they know it's subjective, and a decision has to be? Well, I mean, it's a similar process in some ways, right? Like, I still want to understand the audience as much as I can. And this particular yeah. thing that we are essentially marketing has a couple different audiences, and these audiences care about it in different ways, right? Like, somebody's going to be effectively the consumer of it. Uh, somebody is going to be aware of it, but is not going to consume it, but has other questions they need answered about it. And there's other people that are affected by it that will neither consume it nor will they actually care about it. You know, so it's, it's, there are discrete audiences, and we do understand those audiences pretty clearly. Um, it's just at the end of the day you know, our job in this scenario is really just kind of playing translator between the people that are making this thing, uh, who have a vision and who have, uh, you know, an idea of what they want it to be and Mm -hmm. maybe lack the skills or time or whatever to manifest that vision to the outside world so that other people can understand it. Uh, We're kind of just playing translator there to be like, all right, I need to understand you, client, very, very intimately so that I can express the thing that you would like to express outwardly outwardly and, and do my job you know making something other people can see that will communicate those things that you have sort of deep inside you that oftentimes yeah. and to no fault of of a client this is something that i think people learn early in their career is that uh you know no client is going to have is going to make this easy on you because it's not their job they don't know how to communicate it outwardly so if you just kind of go to them and say yes please give us all the exact perfect messaging and we'll just you know put it we'll, we'll pick a nice font for it and uh and make it look pretty uh, that's not going to work because they didn't hire you to pick a nice font. That's that's not what your what your job is. So we're trying to play this translating role, and uh, yeah. and yeah, it, it's it's definitely a lot harder. I I still like to, I've I've realized that you know it taps into a whole different part of my brain, right? Like <coughs> the 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 me that you know that we that talks on this show mostly that you know talks about design mostly mostly functional design uh, is somebody that likes things to be very regimented. Uh, logical and you know you have reasons for things and everything is kind of explained and there's a whole sort of rigorous process you go through to get there and uh, you know the other part of me is like the same part of me that you know likes certain movies and doesn't like other movies and you know it's it's this much more artistic kind of side where it's like we have to express something here and the way we express it is kind of fuzzy right but uh, but you know you know that uh, a certain movie mostly makes people feel in this spectrum of emotions so it's not so it's not like there's no it's not like there's no way to evaluate whether this has been successful or not. It's just, it's not going to be a little graph that goes up. It's going to be a sort of more 
broad and abstract understanding that, yeah, you communicated that this is an experimental thing and it is uh, a creative thing, or you communicated that this is a product for people of a certain, uh, a certain sort of economic standing. Uh, and those things are just never as, as rigorous as other things. But, you know, I, th- I think, I don't know. So it, to me, it's just like a whole different part of my brain where it's like, you have to tap into these gray areas where compared to the other design project, right? They're the project where here's a very clear audience that has a, like a practical problem and we are going to functionally solve it with software. Uh, yeah. it feels comparatively arbitrary sometimes where it's like, ah, this feels right. But why these colors? Why this shape? I don't know. It feels kind of right. And it kind of reminds us of this thing. And uh, there's not there's not the most satisfying explanations for decisions uh, when you're used to the other kind of design. And I will admit that, you know, I think we're doing a good job on both these projects. And I'm not just saying that because this is a public forum and I should I should say that because <laughs> maybe a client finds it and is listening. Um, I, I, I really do think we're doing a good job. I will say that we've gotten, I think... Uh, not just good, but very fast at the sort of functional version of things. Like I kind of feel like I see through the matrix over there in, in a way that I don't on the marketing stuff uh, mm-hmm. where like when a problem is laid out in front of us, I feel like I can look at it and go, ah, here are the things we're going to run into. Here are the problems that we're going to have when we, you know, think this through in all the different steps and we can answer those questions now. And I can kind of like see two steps ahead. And then on the marketing side of things, I'm kind of just like sitting there like, well, I guess we got to make it and then look at it and see what we think about it and then make some more things and look at those and see what we think about it. Uh, and it feels it's it's been a slower process, I think, to to reach the work of the same quality. And I feel like that's just been kind of a, a spectrum that I've been traveling down in my career. I would say when I got out of school, I was probably much more comfortable with the like expressive image making, you know, graphic part of graphic design. And over the course of my career, I've done less and less of that and more and more of like, here's a practical problem that we need to solve with communication and uh, and interactivity how do we do that? Uh, the more I've done that, the more that this other thing has felt difficult and, and foreign to me. Yeah. I think the, you said a lot of things. Um, so the marketing side to me, I guess it feels similar where, you know, if I, I guess I, I always think of it as like marketing versus making a functional app. Uh, I, I don't think that's like a totally, what would you say? Like a, a real dichotomy, but there's obviously there's bits, there's bits in both, but it feels like sometimes you're doing just one or the other. Um, the marketing side of things, I, I mean, I think there are ways to like get to a, get to an end result quickly, but it's mostly like repeating tricks or looking at, um, looking at something else and just dissecting why it is the way it is. And then just doing that again, right? Like something simple, like, Hey, what makes it luxury? Well, we're going to make the font really small and maybe we'll make it uppercase and track it out and what, and that's what other people do. And so people are used to seeing that and they think luxury. Um, it's just the, like when you, if you want to do something unique, uh, it gets really challenging because you tend to not really have a justification. The client doesn't really have a justification. And usually what happens is people aren't brave enough to just go for it and be like, I've never seen this before. Um, or like, you're not really as unique as you think you are. I was going to say, if you make something thing. you've never seen before, <laughs> if you make something you've never seen before, that's a huge, it's a huge accomplishment already. If you don't go any further than that. Um, usually unique just means disorganized. <laughs> like, like, Oh, this is very weird looking. I guess, uh, yeah. I guess it's unique. Yeah, oftentimes unique means it is not, it is not focused yet. Because if it was yeah. focused, it would probably resemble something you recognize. And instead, it kind of looks like a mishmash, a mess of a couple things all kind of jammed together. Um, but I, I feel like I have become more comfortable with the, the more subjective thing by just being more honest about it. Like, I feel like when I 
started my career, I, I felt like I needed to be an expert at it or like portray myself as an expert and be like, I know exactly what this is going to do. When the truth is, no one knows what it's going to do. So Red gonna, makes people lie angry. Sure. Yeah. Like like pseudoscience version of, of colors or whatever. Yeah. Uh, did you know that yellow makes people hungry and that's why it's in the McDonald's logo? The, the, okay. the numerology sure. of colors. Sure. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, I'm a Sagittarius and that's why I have this personality. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think when you're, it, I feel like if you get a little bit further into it and just say, look, no one knows, but he, I think this, I think this goes well with this. And I think we can apply some basic rules of like, I can tell you not to slam those two things into each other because then no one can read it. Um, but otherwise I'm going to be honest with you and say, look, you don't know. And I don't know, but I can, I can give you my best guess as to what I think will either be successful or at least like focused and understandable. Yeah. So I'm a little bit more comfortable with that side of it, but all, I know all what the you dichotomy mean, that thing. like there's still the there's still that uh uh it, it feels like a bigger unknown even though like it may not actually be like you you're probably you, you just are like maybe repeating more patterns on the functional side of things but like you could put it out in the world and people don't know how to use it sure uh, on the dichotomy thing you mentioned like is this a real division or is it kind of a, a made-up one to me i feel like it's kind of a difference between like Sure, an architect has similar skills. You understand space and you understand, you know, how to move people, you know, through a thing and all the sort of, you know, tenets of architecture. But I, I feel like in some ways it's a difference between like designing an airport and designing like a kitchen. Like kitchen's a bad example. Designing this is like a nice house, like a like a vacation house where you're using the same skills, but like the considerations when you're designing an airport are so vastly different than considerations yeah. when you're designing a house for somebody. Which is like you're making a house for somebody. You got to make sure that like whatever they want is what they get. Which is not. <laughs> how about how about uh, an airport versus a sculpture that somebody can walk into? <laughs> sure. Well, it's just like um, I feel like this the, needs to attract attention. Okay. I, I also just feel like the goals being that different, right? Like someone that is wealthy enough to hire an architect to design or build part of their house or their <laughs> entire house for them, you know it's not wrong to say that the entire point of that job is to make that person happy. And I feel like some people in the sort of professional creative careers don't like the idea that they're subject to the whims of just the happiness of their client, because you could be the most brilliant architect in the whole world. And you make the most incredible kitchen dining room combination with this, you know, totally groundbreaking, you know, thing you do, but if the person you made it for doesn't like it, guess what? You didn't do a great job. Um, yeah. Which is not true of something like an airport where the goal is like, no, listen, here's the deal. We would like people to think Charlotte is cool while they're here. Maybe hang like an old airplane from the ceiling. But, you know, we need to get people. We're going to move thousands of people through every every single day. And, the you know, every 10% you add to everyone's walk is going to slow down every single little operation in this entire building. Uh, it's just it's a very functional problem to me, it seems. I don't know. I don't know anything about architecture, right? I'm not, I've never done this before, but it seems like the differences between doing architecture in that context versus, you know, doing architecture in the uh, rich woman hires you to make a nice house for her context are very different contexts. And it like, you're saying my idea to make every one of the steps a different size isn't going to work in the airport. Well, I mean, it would work depending on what your goals are. Do you want to make people fall <laughs> down the stairs all day? I just remember, I can't remember technically light sidebar. I, I knew someone who lived in a house that had all the steps being a slightly different size because the designer decided to make it that way. And they like, uh, it almost drove them insane. In school, we studied uh, a project where somebody built a whole house with the idea that corners were oppressive. And so they had <clears throat> plastered all of the corners in all of their rooms so that they were to what, all... To be a bevel? 
No, so it wasn't a I mean, bevel. Not a, not a bevel, like a border radius. It was yeah, they basically border radius their entire house. Like I would say about <laughs> on the radius of a basketball. It looked like they just took, you know, a bunch of plaster and then smeared a basketball in all the corners so that everything was rounded. Uh, huh. It's a very interesting <laughs> experiment. It makes it hard to put furniture in there, is what it turns out. Uh, yeah, but they also sure. didn't like corners in their furniture. I think it was all beanbag chairs and stuff. Either way, um, yeah. I mean, actually, if you think about it, making the stairs a different size accomplishes the goal of getting people to the bottom of the stairs very quickly. <laughs> yeah, very efficient sure. in that way. It makes people very aware of their surroundings yeah. Every, yeah. every second of every day. That's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a good little, uh, little tale of... Uh, it's like a fable. That's the word. That's a, that's a, that's a fable above the uh, danger of misinterpreting data when you're making design decisions. Like people got to the stairs 20% faster <laughs> when all of the steps were different sizes. This is yeah. a huge improvement. <laughs> they didn't count. They didn't add. They didn't have a, uh, a row in the, the uh, database for uh, emergency room trips, unfortunately. So that was that was overlooked data. Yeah, they forgot to add the Google google analytics event on that uh on that particular piece of data uh-huh but i still think the red button out for horn the green button andy so yeah these jobs feel they feel like uh just kind of very alien from each other uh having done both in rapid succession uh you still do can projects you do, can you switch back and forth or do you uh do you just spend one day on one and one day on another or like are you all over the place uh i, I, find, I, can, I find i can switch mostly because Sometimes I get really just bogged down in something and it's helpful to intentionally use a different part of my brain because it's kind of like sitting there idle, ready to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I can just kind of help switch back and forth. But uh, but yeah, do you still do projects of both these kinds and feel the same yeah. the same contrast? Yeah, for sure. Like I, ju- I just have some clients that just uh, pretty much only come to me for like the kind of marketing side of things. And then some clients were just uh, are just like very specifically doing iterations on an app and like this app uh you know has all they track all the metrics you would you would want to know about it and then we can look at them and say oh this did or didn't work so what we're going to do is we're going to modify that flow and then we're going to test it against the old one and then we'll just see what wins um which is both exciting Ugh. and also uh i actually really like it like i really like that process because you just like it just feels like you're chiseling away at something until it's perfect but there are certainly times when you're like mm, i know that's the like the conclusion with this small amount of data but like I think the reason is X, you know, I think it's because there was too much of this and not enough of that. And we didn't measure it. And we're just looking at this thing over here. Uh, so, and there's in some ways it can be bad, but I, I generally find it, uh, an interesting challenge. Cause you like, it's not that often that someone just says like, Hey, look, the thing you did good numbers, pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that often that we get to really be involved in exactly what you're describing. Some yeah. of our clients do this kind of internally, right? They have their own, uh, you know, growth <clears throat> metrics mm, i'm sorry they have their own like growth teams internally that are deciding what they need to do to grow and deciding what to measure and then yeah. we get the kind of output of that which is actually nice in some ways because it's a very defined relationship and it's you know not our job to question that particular thing so we don't we question things we're supposed to question mm-hmm. um but the thing that always strikes me about that is uh i really like the distinction that in this book, The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch, which was referred to me uh, by David Cole. David's David's just out here helping out other Davids, apparently. Um, yeah. He talks in the first couple chapters about like how we define knowledge, like how do you know you know something? Like how can you actually demonstrate you know something? And he gives this really kind of relevant example about how 
you know, simply observing something and, you know, extrapolating that the thing you've observed repeatedly will continue uh, is kind of a dangerous logic and doesn't really represent knowledge, right? An example he gives is that, you know, in totally the early days of humanity before, you know, we had any any semblance of science or real civilization, you know, people could probably predict that the sun would come up the next day, right? Because they've been alive for however many number of years and every day the sun's come up. And so, uh, you know, they come to the conclusion that the sun comes up every single day, you know, that's knowledge. Uh, But that is like a world apart from actually understanding that we are on a little, you know, sphere that is, you know, revolving around this other burning ball of gas that's millions of miles away. And that before you can make any meaningful extrapolations from that assertion, that, uh, that that assumption that the sun will come up every day, you can't mm-hmm. just know that. You have to know the deeper thing. Uh, because if you know the sun comes up every day, but you think the sun is a disk that was put into the sky by the sun god, uh, and it lands every night 100 miles away in your neighbor's yard, uh, that... You, don't, you didn't learn anything there. You still might be of the same opinion that someone will come up every single day. So to me, I feel like a lot of the metric stuff falls in that first category of like, well, we know that this increases sales. And it's like, okay, yeah, that is a thing that you know, but it doesn't really, the way in which it, you're trying to apply it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I don't think this is like a, a failing of data div, data-driven design. I don't think it's like people are doing a bad job. I just think we don't, we haven't developed a language yet to talk about the bigger thing. So all mm-hmm. we have is, well, keeps doing this when we make the button green. So let's just keep <laughs> yeah. making the buttons green because this thing keeps going like this. And you've seen the like over-optimized thing where clearly they were like, well, it turns out the more buy buttons you put on the page just increases the chances someone will accidentally click a buy button when they're trying to get somewhere. And so if you have seven different redundant buy buttons on the page, it's, one of them might get clicked more often. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's my feelings towards about all that. I, uh, I feel like uh, it's kind of a necessary, we're necessarily ignorant at this point still because we don't have a way to describe these behaviors more rigorously, at least that is in keeping with our processes, right? Like maybe, uh, maybe behavioral scientists, like the ones that like Facebook and Google employ <laughs> are the ones that are actually like, you know, psychiatrists are in there figuring this stuff out and actually coming up with good explanations for why these things happen. But most of us are just going, hey, look, more t-shirt sales when button is bigger, make yeah. button so, bigger, bigger, bigger. So we're just in the days where the internet is flat and one day we'll discover it is round and the Google analytics sun God will have a greater explanation. I'm trying to carry it through the meta. <laughs> trying to carry through the analogy. Well, I think, yeah, I think the reality is just that humanity is so much more <clears throat> messy than the solar system. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, uh, the truth to discover about the solar system was like, truly like plainly in front of us for the entire history of humanity. And it took us until like the most recent 1% of civilization to actually figure out what it is. And it's this relatively obvious thing now that you know it in hindsight, right? Like there's no other explanation for the movement of these shapes in the sky over time. If you just observe them and think about it, but it took so long to arrive at that, you know, very clean truth that the idea of us arriving at some truth about, the behavior of people, this like big, messy mass of organic material and, you know, electric signals firing in people's brains and muscle fibers. Uh, that's, we're, we're nowhere near that, is, is my guess. I think it's probably going to be a long road. Do you ever feel like when, when you read about how, uh, I don't know, like if like Facebook and Twitter manipulate people and they're banning oh, they, they do. the Russians and no, no, sure, sure they do. But like, uh, 
that like actually the like like the the most uh the most like dramatic examples where they can swing an election with advertising or whatever uh you see that and you think like wow what a what a complex uh understanding of human beings to be able to do that even if it's in an evil way and then the other other side of it you're like i don't know maybe they just got lucky it's pretty hard well yeah i think, <laughs> you know I think I mean? in a lot of cases it's like unintended you might be convincing somebody to do something better than than vote for trump but like you're still trying to convince someone to do something and I, th- I feel like we just look at the successful example where you're like man they must be masters at it and you're like are they masters or did they like shoot a million things at a, at a wall and like it also happened to be an environment where this was going to work yeah i mean a broken clock is still right twice a day so sure there you go yeah i think um yeah i feel like it, the influence that systems like that have is just so poorly understood by everybody, including the people making them. Right. Uh, and this is evidenced by the fact that like, you know, Twitter recently, what gave people, some people, some select people, 280 characters in which to express their thoughts. And then eventually everyone's yeah. going to get that right. Is that the idea? <clears throat> that is the idea as I understand it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, we can get into a whole nother conversation about how Twitter to me is just like totally dead. Like I, I don't, I don't tweet anywhere. I don't go on Twitter. I just, Twitter's dead to me. Um, yeah. But uh, but no, it just seems like a perfect example of, uh, well, we don't, we chose this limitation because of a practical limitation of SMS technology, which is 100% no longer relevant at all to what Twitter is. And people responded to it positively. And then the story of Twitter is that for the past, what, five years, six years, they have failed to do anything else that anybody liked and yeah. have just basically ridden this mysterious success that they now are changing. Uh, and maybe, maybe they change it and everybody likes it way more and Twitter gets way more popular. I'm not sure. I have no idea. But I don't think they have any idea either. I think they're just like trying <laughs> yeah. stuff because they don't really know. I think they spend a lot of time sitting around tables trying to figure it out. I don't think it's, uh, it's, for, I don't think it's for lack of trying. I just think uh, not many of these systems are really self-aware in the way that uh a lot of people would paint them i don't think it's malicious as much as it is just totally nobody at facebook really knows uh what the impact on the 2016 election facebook had was it's there you, are malicious you, you, things you can point out malicious things but it might not be as intentional as you think it is yeah is my my take oh yeah there's evil stuff i just mean that i think the biggest impact is this uh totally unintentional impact <laughs> that nobody is really policing at all it's just yeah. you know Anyway, that's what I think about making a decision based on whether a graph goes up or down. Yeah. Turns out if you muddy the waters enough, people are evil. Is that what we learned? Is that what it is? <sighs> I don't know. Depends I don't know. It, I guess. What's going on with you at work? Well, uh, let's see. We are... I also have these kind of similar clients that you have. Uh, we're kind of... We just got back from our retreat, which is our kind of... Every six months, we gather our remote team together to like talk together for a week about uh, the company and the future and things like that, things that seem important. Um, and so now we're back and implementing all the changes we said we would make. Is always the hardest part. You get together and it feels great to talk about everything. And then you get home and you're like, oh, we gotta go do this stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about what happens as, as your company gets a little bit bigger and a little bit more mature and you have to like... I, I've been thinking about just like how you... Uh, how you keep keep everybody happy, like working on projects without like siloing people too much. It's kind of a challenge of, of a remote team where it's like it's pretty easy for people to feel isolated because, you know, they are literally find, isolated. 
they're literally not in the same room together. And then if you also happen to have a couple of people who might be working on a project solo, like you don't want that to go on for too long because just too isolating or you don't want uh but you know, on the other hand, it's like, Oh, well this person wants to, you know, this client wants to continue working with us and the work has been good, but how long do we let this person just work solo on this? And like, how do we change? How would we change the, uh, the way we take on projects? So it's always like required that there's two people. Is that a weird thing to say to a client? Like, well, we'll work with you as long as you work with more of us. Um, at that point, two seems like an arbitrary number, just the same yeah. way one's an arbitrary number. <laughs> now you need three people. Now these two people are isolated with. alone working on something. Yeah, that's a complex yeah. calculus we have to do too, where it's like, you don't want, first of all, for practical reasons, you don't want any part of your business, you know, totally reliant on a single employee. And, uh, and vice versa. You don't want one employee's time to be too dedicated to an individual client. But also, that is the most efficient, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It is way better to do that in terms of efficiency than it is to have everything peer-reviewed six times and make sure that there are multiple people in all of the decision-making positions to you know follow something through. Uh, so there's this interesting balance you have to strike between like, well, we're going to involve X number of people in this, even though it only yeah. takes you know x divided by two to actually get it done because that's the right balance for us on this particular project to uh you know divide the labor a little bit and hopefully get rid of that idea of isolation yeah but where that's kind of led us is that we would like to uh you know take on larger scoped projects where we can actually say like where we don't just say like uh it's going to require x it's going to require you take on three people and you just pay our rate for however long it takes which is a harder a much harder thing to do and, uh, hey, here's one person who will work on a thing for three months or something, right? Um, so we're trying to get better at estimating a large development project, which is challenging, to say the least. Yeah, good luck. Um, and is that, is, that, is that all you have to say? Can't be done? Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. Um, I think it can be done if you're very pessimistic. And uh, the reality is, and this is just the reality of the whole market, right? Like, if you are appropriately pessimistic and say, hey, look, we think optimistically we could get it done in X, which means that when we factor in things we didn't think of, stuff mm-hmm. that goes wrong, technology that requires updating in between, tools that we didn't foresee needing to use, and feedback from our client and our client's customers, it's going to take 4X to get it done. Uh, there's going to be somebody else pitching that project that says it costs X, and they have not learned this lesson yet. Yeah, and right. They're, they're going to learn the hard way. <laughs> They're going to learn it the hard way, probably, by just, uh, I mean, hopefully, if they're, if they're above board, they're going to learn it less the hard way by by eating a bunch of time themselves and uh, and kind of getting burned on the project. But uh, there seems to be no shortage of companies out there that are getting burned on projects uh, that it makes it hard to uh, to kind of pitch the realistic the realistic vision for what something takes in a, in a lot of situations. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of place we're at where it's like... Uh... I mean, maybe, maybe there's, maybe it just doesn't work and, and it's a fool's errand, but I do think there's a place where we can kind of like take what we've, take what we've known. Like, it's not like we've never done them before. We've done scope projects before and our, our, you know, we've learned it's kind of, it tends to go a little bit over, but if you were happy to take on the project, then like eat a little bit of time and, but you got to put more people on or you got to control the process or, um, yeah, I feel like the, the other, like you're talking about the dichotomy between the marketing and the functional app. I feel like there's the dichotomy between um, being in full control of the process and saying exactly what the scope of it is versus just selling your time where like, if you just sell your time, it's really easy. You just 
work and then say here's how long it took and then they pay you that amount of money and then you never have to plan anything yeah um but that you also you're, not in, control, you're not in control of your time right you're well just not just like, that but also like what happens when they tell you to do something dumb for two weeks and then they're like hey why did you do this dumb thing and it's like well you told me to do that and that's what you hired me to do and it's like well we also expected you to tell us if we were doing something dumb it's like well yeah ugh, right gosh <laughs> geez so that's like, an awkward the, position the, uh, there is this kind of like grass is greener thing where it seems like maybe if we can get really good at at defining everything up front and then like sticking to our plan and knowing that like no matter what you do, there's going to be unknowns. So factor just factor in that there's going to be unknowns and just like multi- add pad it a little bit or add some add some time for like. Here's a thing we're probably going to have to tackle. We just don't know what it is yet, because no matter what that comes up, um, maybe that leads to a better process because you get to define everything up front. Um, like the thing we've we have figured out or figured out a long time ago is that uh, just do it do it in two phases like design it all first make sure they're happy with everything and then scope it all out and figure out like what the uh, what the development time is going to be because when you try to do both of those at the same time uh, you're kind of like restricted as the designer where you're like well I could make this decision but we already said it costs X and you don't want to change that so just no can't do it uh which doesn't feel great yeah it's funny because you know you and i matt for years spent time talking about how we kind of strive to do the opposite of that in some ways right like this idea of a beautiful kind of symbiosis between design and development where everything was Mm -hmm. kind of fluid and you didn't have this you know manufactured deadline of we must decide what everything will be before this date this is the date we design the entire thing and you approve it uh, and then from there, nothing may change, and we're just going to build it as spec. Uh, yeah. And uh, I don't know. In some ways, you and I are just going down the same road of learning the lessons that every other company that has done everything, has done anything in history has learned, and which caused them to arrive at that, like, waterfall model of, like, well, we're going to talk to you, and we're going to make a specs document. Then we're going to make a wireframes. Then we're going to turn the wireframes into full visual design. Then we're going to get mm-hmm. sign-off for every single phase. Then we're going <laughs> to be in development. The thing we hated is, like, we're just on... We're just on the kind of road to that in some ways, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is a, there is a world where that, that thing we talked about can work, but it tends to be where it's just like, what well, you know, we it have a, a, lot of a really big budget and we have a really big budget. We trust and trust on both sides. We trust you to keep, keep going and keep going and keep going. And on the other side, like you trust them to not just like put you in the cycle of doing like Hey, let's sign a six month contract together and then we'll just do whatever you say. And then you, if, if it doesn't work out, you're like just working for somebody. You're like, I don't know why we have to keep doing this, but you're stuck doing whatever they say. Right. Like and at that, that point, that like you're barely even running your, your own time. company. You're just getting a different job right. every six months for some other, yeah, exactly. with no job security exactly. and no benefits. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, it's messy. I don't know. I mean, you've, you've tried that a little bit too, where you've tried to, get better at estimating uh or just taking on a chunk of work as opposed to just run the clock well so here's the thing like we've we've always estimated everything from the beginning right like even if we we had a policy of not doing anything for a fixed budget for the first four and a half years we were a business but it didn't mean we weren't estimating things right we were still giving proposals we were still making estimates for all of our projects ahead of time and if and when things went over we were still dealing with ramifications of that right the client was frustrated and we had to explain why this particular thing and this choice that we made a long time ago made this more time intensive and blah 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 uh so we had a conversation like you know maybe a year and a half ago about how really in some ways there's just basically no difference between 
giving an estimate up front and then billing hourly for however long it takes and just agreeing to do it for a flat scope. The difference is only this slight, well, there's just very slight difference between either you are going to have the conversation of, hey, we're, if we do this, we're going to go over hours because we didn't plan for this. Or you're going to have the conversation of, hey, this is out of scope. And if you want us to do it, it's going to cost us much more money. And that's really just the same conversation as far as the client is concerned, right? They don't care. When you give somebody an estimate, they are expecting it's going to cost pretty much exactly what you said, even though you told them every single time you mention it, like, is this an estimate? Nothing is promised. Nothing is guaranteed. They're expecting it to cost that much until you tell them otherwise. And the same yeah. goes for a quote. So in some ways, it's like it just it just governs how you internally are going to communicate with your clients about what happens when the unexpected comes up. But, uh, but yeah, in, unless you're like promising to do something without totally scoping it ahead of time there's really no difference i don't think in some ways it, it, am i am i wrong there actually i think you're pretty much right it's just about um i just find if you do, if you estimate it up front set costs it's just like a much harder conversation if you hit if you hit that like maximum and you're like hey things are going to change but you just have to have a much better reason than if there's like uh, ah, we'll just do, we'll just work for a period of time together and then we'll either renew that contract or we won't. Maybe um, it happens more for you than it does for us. I can, we've almost never had a contract that was not in somehow, however abstractly tied to some kind of deliverable. Like it's, we're almost never just hired to do whatever and whatever comes out of it. Great. Uh, it's always like, we need to make this thing. It needs to be done by this date and we have this budget. It's like, okay, well, we'll try I feel to like make it's usually work. a team that works in some, like, like already has a CTO or some, someone in charge of technology and then, uh, already works on like an agile, you know, they're already doing agile development or something that just has like sprints or, so or you, like, you're just talking about cycles. like renting out developers basically. Essentially. I mean, you might be, you might be, uh, like in charge of something, right? Like you might be part of a group, but it's just a more flexible structure in that, like, uh, you're not defining up front. Like you might be like, Hey, we're a team of people and we're going to work on this thing roughly. Uh, but I, the contract might not say that it might just be like, that's the agreement going into it. But the contract is just, you get X amount of hours for this period of time. Uh, and they can change it if they want to. Right. Um, but it's not, it's not exactly the same as just like getting a freelancer for a rate. Right. Yeah. I guess we don't have that many projects like that. And almost all of our stuff initially was estimate, then we're going to bill hourly. And mm-hmm. the advantage there is that uh, you can kind of very slowly break it to people that things are going over over budget, right? Like, yeah. uh, oh, this week we were two hours over on what we thought setting up the models was going to take. And, you know, things just can very slowly escalate, which is maybe a little bit nicer way to break it to people. Whereas, I guess I am describing it basically where we're, we're just saying, like, we're just going to estimate a thing every two weeks. And then if we go over, we'll just tell you in two week cycles instead of the bigger... The bigger, uh, the bigger project, right? Well, yeah, when you do something flat rate, you're not going to be like, hey, because of this thing that came up on the what we thought would be a 14-hour task to set up these you know, models, it's now going to be a 16-hour task, so you have to pay us $150 more or whatever. Like, you're not going to do that because it's so small and trivial. Uh, yeah. So having the hourly sort of model makes it easier to make things sort of slowly accrue as opposed to like, hey, here's a new feature that we didn't talk about that wasn't included in the scope and it's going to cost this much to add it on or whatever the sort of conversation looks like for that. Yeah. Good stuff, Andy. Talking about scopes and rates and all kinds of stuff that you love. Yeah. Maybe someone out there is getting something out of this. 
I don't know. <laughs> like I said, we told you people, well, the things we talk about now are very boring podcast material. <laughs> we have changed and grown, and now this is what we think about all day. So hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's like you start talking about it and you start talking about it in the most abstract terms because you're like, oh, I'll probably be able to get there. And then you actually do it in practice and you're like, mm, I've got to find, find, out, find the really practical way to do that crazy thing I want to do. Uh, and then you end up talking about scopes and rates. <laughs> yeah, every time. It always How ends I trick in someone and into rates. my crazy idea. Oh, I guess I have to have the contract right. I guess this is why lawyers are so powerful. Even if you want to do the most wild thing, you gotta still gotta get a lawyer, huh? Don't don't remind me. Oh, sorry. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, you don't. Everything's fine. Uh, As you say, Andy, contracts are just agreements between people, and you should like them, and they should be very clear. I it's do nice. feel that way about really contracts. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Clarity is not the enemy. That sounds that sounds good, I think. That's my final thought. Clarity is not the enemy. Oh, good. Do you have any final that makes thoughts, it, Matt? That makes it sound like I have to say the opposite. Like, well, counterpoint. No, no, no. That's, clarity that, that's, is the enemy. That's in your oh, head. That's, that's in show. your... Sorry. That's good bad show. That's inside your head where you're just naturally combative and, and uh, contrarian to whatever I'm saying. You cannot say something totally opposite. You can just say whatever is in your little brain. Yeah, well... Your big brain. I didn't mean that to be diminutive. Actually. Oh, I wasn't even paying attention to that part. You could have let it go if you wanted to. Well, and people would have been people would have been uh, uh, speculating if we were if we were breaking up the podcast because you were saying mean things about my brain. Yeah, exactly. Matt and my relationship has fallen to fallen to pieces because of my horrible brain abuse I keep throwing at him. I have a big brain, a very big brain. How <laughs> dare you? Big brain, great brain, very powerful brain. Uh huh. Best memory too. Best memory. It's really hard. It's really hard to not just break into stupid Trump impressions from time to time, even though it's like so hackneyed and stupid and dumb and easy. Like there's never going to be an easier impression to do, but it's just irresistible. It's just right there. It's like when people talk about Jay Leno and you just have to like, Jay Leno. You have to like, even if you're bad at it, you got to do the Jay Leno voice. (laughs) I don't, I don't feel that way. Also, I don't think anyone's talked to me about Jay Leno in 14 years. Well, you know what? When Jay Leno comes up again, you're going to be like, yeah, you know, Jay Leno. You have to do the high pitched voice. Yeah, yeah. And you'll like you'll like hold your chin up in a way that implies you have a bigger chin. Uh yeah, that's what's gonna happen. So <laughs> mark my words, Andy. This is run appropriately off the rails, I think. Yeah, well what do you expect what's gonna happen? Yeah. It's me and you. Yeah, well. There's no one to keep us on track. Next uh next episode, last episode for uh for now, twenty six, wrapping out the whole year. We're gonna try and make it a banger. We'll try and get a bunch of people involved and uh, and make it a real fun one. Oh yeah, so we got one more coming up. We'll get some we'll get some uh collaborators on the show. We'll do another working file just as you remembered it. And uh that'll be it for twenty seventeen, but we'll see what happens in the future. Who knows? Maybe we get bored and we want to talk about design again, or we find a much easier way to do this. Cause uh turns out everybody can do every Thursday at five or something. Yeah, no one knows what the future will hold. Thanks, as always, to XYZ Type for the transcripts. As always, you can find them at XYZtype.com. And thank you to our contributors. You can find them all in a convenient list I made for you on Twitter of Working File Contributors. Which is the only reason to use Twitter. Go follow the good people. Basically. Basically.